Welcome to the Universal Diner, where life's flavors blend into authentic conversation. Join us at our spacious corner booth as we discuss and explore various topics such as natural health and wellness, yoga, plant medicines, spirituality, and more. There's always room for you, there's always room for our special guests, and there's always room for insight, intuition, and epiphanies to arise. Simone, brother, how are you? Great to see you guys, as always. Indeed. Simone, <laughs> you feeling hungry? Yeah, getting there. You know, one of the things that kind of stands out at the forefront for me and as we have these conversations is just the importance of authentically relating, you know, both mm. like allowing ourselves to just be who we are and you know, welcoming in whatever is arising and, and just beholding that and honoring each other for however you are showing up. So there's something in there around like authenticity and communication and, you know, the exchange and also, you know, just being here together in this kind of constellation. Great. Right. Let's order a big dish of that. And I'm going to take that as an invitation to just like dive in deep and get a little personal and even vulnerable here, if I may. Please yeah? do. So in my life, uh, the way that I communicate and express myself has often been seen as inauthentic, like cheesy. And uh, that has actually caused me a lot of like, um, you know, difficulty in my life, probably in ways that I don't necessarily even know. Um, but uh, I don't need to know <laughs> than uh, you know the situations that that I know that it's backfired, and I there's pain in that because there's like a misunderstanding because I'm being silly and playful as a way to invite silliness and play with an underlying awareness often that like, look, the whole thing is just a big silly cosmic play. And I'm just acknowledging that by being somewhat theatrical. But a lot of people misinterpret that as, as, as me being inauthentic. And it's painful because of course, the, one of the motivating factors is, hey, I want to connect. I want to play. I'm inviting you in as an aspect of let's, let's get real with each other about what's actually going on, which is this whole thing is a big stage. You know, all the world's a stage, right? And we are merely players. But if you can't meet me there, then you think, oh, he's just full of shit. And it's like, wow. Yeah. So um, I'm so happy that we can be here and be real with each other, no matter what, come what may, you know, come as we are. And as part of that, I can actually speak to this thing that's actually been an issue in my life. I get that I'm a cheese ball. I mean, I'm American. So I've got that working against me. Okay. So we're going to order one big helping of authenticity with a topping of cheesiness. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, extra, yeah. Extra cheesy authenticity. I like that. 
<laughs> yes. Having grown up in Switzerland, I'm always up for lots of cheese. <laughs> yeah. And of course, we have our own version of like the, the Rosti, right? Isn't that what you call it in Switzerland, where it's basically what we would call hash browns. And then sometimes we order cheese on it. <laughs> they used Don't to be put like the Velveeta. Cheddar. You remember, you know, Velveeta? It used to be oh, like yes. American, uh, crazy. I don't know what the heck Velveeta is, but anyway, no one well, does. I would, no one I would actually, well, I would authentically like to say happy new years to you guys. Mm. You know, it's, we have just mm. gone through the holiday season and, and, uh, celebrated new years here for me in Portugal and you guys in Thailand before we get too deep into the, uh, the plate of authenticity with extra cheese. I just wanted to say happy new year to you guys. Thank you, brother. Thanks Same. brother. Same. Mm -hmm. So it's always nice to connect with you guys. I would say, you know, something that has reignited in me in this last week. And every time it does, I am always so surprised that I could ever get away from it and let it fall out of my life again. And uh, in the past week or so, I have picked up my Kundalini yoga practice again. And, you know, it's something that's been with me for. How many years now? 20, yeah, 20 years, actually. I did my first, uh, 23 years ago, did my first Kundalini yoga class. And it's always come in waves in my life, you know? It's like, it it captures me and I, I'm full power in it for a while, and then it goes away and then it comes back. And every time it comes back, I'm like, oh man, how foolish of me to think that I can get through my day and feel great without doing some sort of practice and or doing this particular type of practice for me. So I'm super grateful that it's back into my daily life now and feeling really uh, great with the daily breath of fires and ego eradicators and all of that good stuff. Great That's way to awesome. start the new year. Yeah, sure. Mm. And how else would Kundalini yoga come but in waves? Because that's mm. how Kundalini arises. Well it's, such a, well it's such a bizarre yoga practice. You know, I remember going to my first Kundalini yoga class and actually my first yoga class period. And I show up at this ashram in Orlando, right outside of Orlando, Florida. This was 23 years ago. I had a very simple idea of what yoga was that you bring a yoga mat and you're going to do yoga poses. And I show up and I arrive at this beautiful ashram and I walk in and I notice everybody's sitting on sheepskins. I go sit down and I'm sitting there and, I, and the yoga teacher comes out and he's probably in his sixties with a huge long white beard and a white turban on his head and dressed in all white. And he sits down on a stage in front of a big, huge gong and brings his hands together and okay, we're going to tune in. And he goes into the opening mantra. I didn't know what the heck we were doing, sitting on sheepskins and chanting and doing these funny movements. But all I knew is somewhere during that first class, I was hooked. Yeah, that was my introduction to yoga. And it was, so it was so far removed from what most people think yoga, probably most people think yoga looks like. Kundalini yoga is definitely uh, Kundaluna yoga. It's, it's bizarre yoga, but I love it. I perceived it. I literally peeked in on a couple of classes relatively early in my yoga practice days. And 
it always seemed a little bit clickish, almost to the point of being like a little bit cult-like. Very and, much. And also, it seems really ironic to be practicing yoga on dead animal skin. So the mm. whole sheepskin thing was like, what? Um, and also, again, in fairness, and I guess this is becoming a little mini theme in the podcast for me, like inauthentic and, and cheesy um, and vulnerable, more to the point. I think that I just wasn't that uh, interested in and maybe even a little bit averse to doing that much work with my breath. And I didn't even think about it at the time. Uh, and to the degree I did, I probably thought, you know what, I'm doing enough breath work in my like regular kind of asana stuff. And on some level, I know that like breath work would be a key to like a lot of healing and release and stuff, but it just seemed like too intense. Like I'm going to be coming to this real extreme. Uh, so I think I, I kind of felt some aversion to it. And as soon as I heard the stories about Yogi Bhajan, well, way later, you know, relatively recently, it somehow kind of validated my aversion to to uh, to that particular form of yoga. Um, but I'm just using that as an excuse. Yeah, for me, going into it with zero expectations was the key. You know, I had, I didn't know what I was even doing. I just, someone told me, oh, you should go to this ashram. So I showed up with zero expectations. And for me, that's, that's kind of how I've stumbled into a lot of the practices that I've done over the years. I think having no expectations and just going into the yoga class was key. That makes total sense. Simone, you are a very experienced and accomplished yoga teacher in all kinds of ways, far beyond asana. I'd love mm -hmm. to get your input into the conversation here. Otherwise, brother and I are going to eat all of this cheese and authenticity by ourselves. Yes, that's right. It's interesting that you say 23 years ago, because I would say that was probably roughly the same time that I stepped into my first yoga class, but it was very different in context to you. I was living in Toronto, big urban city, and I was going to a Pilates studio and somewhere in the flow of going to classes there, they started offering one yoga class a week. And that was my introduction to yoga. And I started attending those yoga classes and totally fell in love with the practice of yoga. Back then, there was oh, maybe two yoga studios in that area of the city that, you know, like there definitely was not a lot of yoga on on anyone's radar. And yeah, and I, I have to say that I probably practiced in that studio for about a year. And then, I mean, this, this was before there was even really email and internet. I mean, internet was just kind of, it existed, but it was definitely nothing of, you know, what we see today. And so I was reading Yoga Journal, and at the back of Yoga Journal was a little ad that said yoga teacher training in mm. Bali. And, you know, like you, it was this this kind of like just feeling drawn to something. And I looked into it, and at that time, like you could only fax people. <laughs> so I like faxed the studio that was actually in Australia and signed up for this yoga teacher training across the globe and ended up going to Bali for my first yoga training. And it changed the entire trajectory of my life, my entire life. So, you know, yoga was definitely the thing that totally changed the direction 
Mm -hmm. um, that I've been moving in and has, yeah, allowed for an incredible opening of, you know, so many areas of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And yoga was certainly probably the door, the door that led to that and continues in many ways. I just want to acknowledge that both of you had a considerable awakening or a period of expansion in your life related to showing up to Bali for the first time. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Noting that, noting that and and honoring that, seeing that connection. And then as brother's daughter has sometimes said, and now me, and now (laughs) me. Now in fairness, she's three and she's discovering (laughs) ego and boundaries and autonomy. And I love it. And I love to play with it. Mm-hmm. And since you both showed your or shared rather your intro into yoga, I'm really like inspired to share my introduction to it. And now me. Please do. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> We've known each other for 15 years and I don't know this story. So I'm curious to hear it. Yeah. And I'm not even sure what the story is, but I imagine when I start talking, it'll come out. Well, I started practicing yoga based on a few asanas that were sketched out in the book, Be Here Now. And Mm -hmm. I discovered that book, Be Here Now, I would say uh, coincidentally, but of course, I don't believe in coincidences, in a small community college library in a small Colorado town when I was traveling around the Western US with a friend. And it was a a real breaking free and a period of real consciousness expansion. We started off with a sheet of acid and like a whole bag of mushrooms. And we ran out like about a month or a month and a half into the journey. So I think that, you know, that's very telling about like what what that trip was about. And we were really getting turned on and exploring and experimenting. Anyway, discovered this book where this guy, Ram Dass, who I'd never heard of before, was talking about his psychedelic experiences and how it led him to his own spiritual path. And it was like, this is the link. Wow. In this library, checked the front of the book. I saw that no one had checked it out in like two or three years and in a, in a totally ironic move, stole the book. It's like the old <laughs> Edward Abbey book, steal this book. Not Edward Abbey. Abby Hoffman, sorry. <laughs> Abby Hoffman wrote a book famously called Steal This Book, and people were stealing it from bookshelves all the time. And it was this anarchist kind of cookbook. But I thought, you know what? This book is made for us. And I know it's insane to steal a spiritual book, <laughs> but I'm supposed, to, supposed to have it. Anyway, more to the point, back to the point. So, started practicing some of these asanas. And I met a couple of people who did a little bit of yoga and always kind of played with it a little. And I I had done martial arts at at some point and it kind of like fit with some of the stretching and blah, blah, blah. But I never really did anything serious with it and very much off and on until some friends of mine got involved with Bikram yoga. And to me, it just sounded insane and like really hardcore and like the way it was being taught was like, like really aggressive and stuff, but they were so transformed by it. I couldn't deny that. And that's actually what got me into doing relatively strong yoga and to actually experience the practice, you know, in kind of a full on disciplined way. Had a whole relationship with Bikram yoga and, you know, never fully bought into it in, in fairness to myself. Uh, and of course, what came out about Bikram is absolutely horrible and I would not want to have anything to do with it. But that's, again, in the interest of being vulnerable, that's my life story. That's how it happened. Follow the teachings, not the teacher. <laughs> oh, yes. Trust the art, not the artist. Oh, my yeah, goodness. Indeed. That adage. 
That adage has been presented so many times to me in my life in so many ways. I'd like to think I learned, but it's still happening. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Well, so here we are 23 years later. All of us have had our intro into the yoga scene. I'm curious. uh, I shared a little bit of how how Kundalini seems to come and go for me and, and along the way, teach it and share it with others and have had this yeah relationship of just kind of in and out of it, but it's always with me. I'm curious how it's been with you over the last 23 years. Yeah, I I really like the kind of the metaphor that Troy that you spoke about about it being in waves. I I really experience the flow of yoga, and when I when I say yoga, I probably mean more the asana practice itself because yoga is you know there's so many other facets to yoga, but it it has been kind of a steady undercurrent to my life, but it has ebbed and flowed in terms of, you know, how it presents itself in my life. And, you know, I go through phases where I'm teaching and then I'm not teaching so much. And then I've also noticed and with the practice as well, like where I'm practicing vigorously and then I'm not practicing, but there's always some form of practice. And as I mentioned, there are these different facets to yoga. So, you know, whether it's a quiet kind of just, you know, holding a few poses for periods of time, flopping around in my bed, doing some yin poses or not doing any poses and then really focusing on just meditation or reflection or contemplation or, you know, fasting and cleansing. Like these are all facets of the yoga practice in general. And I think, you know, all of us have also had in-depth experiences with fasting and cleansing and different ways of working with nutrition and how to work with the mind and our emotions and uh, using different practices to engage with all these different levels and layers of our being. And I think all of that is yoga, but it ebbs and flows in how it comes in and what I'm working with at, at a certain time in life. And, you know, that flows out and something else comes in. So that's been my experience. And I think one other thing to mention about it is, um, I've noticed over the years, you know, entering into the physical practice of yoga, it being quite strong and and dynamic. And then over the years, it starts to become subtler and subtler and quieter and and less dynamic and more internalized. So I think that's also something that naturally seems to occur if one is a long-term practitioner of it. Yeah, we've all practiced and taught yoga in many different contexts, in many different countries and cultures over many years and explored all kinds of related aspects of it. Obviously, hatha yoga is a purification technique primarily. And so something like fasting and cleansing is kind of an inherent aspect of it, or at least runs parallel to it, depending on how you look at it and how you perceive it and and such. And essentially, we've all lived quite yogic lifestyles. We have been modern yogis in many ways. Uh, and as you say, Simone, you know, it's waxed and waned in its expressions or forms or the, you know, the specific application, direct, indirect, all of that. And, you know, of course, it's been a, a huge formative part of all of our lives. 
Yeah. And to speak to what you were sharing, Simone, around it becoming more subtle over the years and as we get older, I can also say for me that although that is how yoga can evolve in our lives, I still really love a full power kundalini yoga class. So yes and no. So I can definitely see this increasing ability to tune into more and more subtle aspects of the self. And for me personally, I still love doing even extreme fasts from time to time when it calls to me, you know, a deep water fast for eight, 10 days or an intensive yoga practice like I'm doing right now. You know, I feel like at some t- at points in my life, I can be on an extreme one side where I feel really, really stagnant and there's just a lack of fire in my life. And then the Kundalini yoga, I can just ignite that fire so fast and feel re-energized and bring passion and fire back into my life. So yeah, I'm curious how you guys feel now about yoga as compared to when you started. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally hear you. And I think there is a place for, you know, I'm not at all suggesting that one all of a sudden just doesn't do these more strong dynamic practices at all. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that you're speaking to is actually the medicine of these practices is that we use them when there is a certain quality of energy. So you talked about, you know, when things are a bit stagnant in life, then you need some fire, right? You Mm. use the practice itself to ignite that fire. And isn't that exactly what the practice, the the wisdom behind the practice and and being a practitioner over a long period of time, you start to recognize, oh, you know, this is how I can use these practices to bring in whatever is deficient. And that, that is, that's like, Right One there aspect. shows, oh, you've you've gained wisdom from, yeah, from these practices. Yeah, we hear that. And just to add to that, I do think that the practice becomes subtler uh, as we age, as we mature. In general, life has the potential to become more refined. We don't need things to be as extreme or overt in order to uh, benefit from their essence or experience their their essence. Uh, so that's certainly part of my own experience. And then there's just a natural aging process where uh, the the intense physicality is not only less appealing and perhaps less helpful, but less accessible in some in some respects. And also I have to acknowledge that it's harder for me in many ways to sustain the practice, including things like fasting and cleansing. I I would always look forward to, you know, a regular practice or going to say a meditation retreat. Uh, You know, 10 day silent retreats have been a big part of my life. It's just harder on my body. It's more difficult to make that shift, even though I know experientially how beneficial it is it's harder to do and of course then there's stories about like well you were you know a yoga teacher training teacher and you founded a yoga school there's all this stuff you know it's very very steeped in it it's like wow how interesting to like you know step away from it in some ways and then kind of dip back into it kind of as a beginner and you know there's there's also lots of stories about being involved in the yoga business 
And I'll just wrap up my little wrap with, with that is that one of the reasons I faded out of it is because I made the classic uh, move of making my hobby, my business, my passion, my business. And I became so saturated with the yoga business and everyone in my world was yoga, yoga, yoga. And I, I just started to kind of be not necessarily disillusioned, but maybe in part dissatisfied or just tired of it and just wanted to step out of it. And it made the actual practice uh, less juicy. And, and so I really struggled with that for quite a few years. I have a question I'm curious about, brother. Um, when you look at your, because you you had a period of life where bodybuilding was a really big part of your life. Um mm-hmm. And would you say that that's something that you could pick up again, like that it draws you or it could draw you back in? And would you train at the same level that you did um, at that period in time? Like, I'm just curious about that. It could. I mean, I'm definitely open to that possibility. Um, It hasn't called me in that way. However, yoga has called me back continually in that way. I practice now I can say that I, I do my Kundalini yoga practice now in a very similar, if not the same way as I have over 23 years, albeit with a more subtle awareness. So my awareness of the practice has increased like you spoke of, but how I practice, I can say there's really no difference over the 23 years. So bodybuilding hasn't called me back, but it could, who knows? Yeah. Well, again, in the interest of authenticity, I welcome any confrontation when we're here sitting at the diner together. I mean, of course, you know, we're all very good friends. And I think it's great that we challenge each other on anything that comes out that might not be serving us or might not be accurate, or in this case, that, you know, speaking in generalities. And I very rarely do. In fact, as a coach, you know, I'm often calling people out on on that and and i see of course uh, as, as such i see the benefits in making it personal so i think that just kind of slipped in there and i do think there's something to explore here uh, maybe you know another time um but um our bodies do change and i think there's something to acknowledge about that you know and yes they they okay so i'm speaking in generalities again here um but to honor your your point, I'll speak to myself. My body has changed. Uh, I think in a relative way, my body actually stayed quite youthful and healthy uh, for quite a long period in life. And then there was just a point when metabolism slowed down and the the perceived energy reserves and the timing, you know, as they say, losing a step, that has all happened. And I have the choice to acknowledge it and be with it and sort of grow old gracefully and accept that that's part of life inviting me into letting go of my physicality and moving towards whatever is next, which one could say is very yogic, um, or like choosing to like try to like compensate uh, for for uh, whatever the, the changes with some kind of youthful elixir or exercise or or something else. Yes. <laughs> well, Simone, I don't, you know, Troy and I spent a couple months together and, and we had this conversation a few times back, you know, with each other. We see it similar in, in some respects and not so similar in other respects. 
well, in the spirit of just being together as friends here at this booth and eating some some beautiful authenticity, cheesy authenticity. I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> I feel like uh um I don't put as as much uh uh weight on on the age and the aging process and and I don't know. I, I'm not sure why, but you know, I, we talked about this, Troy, in like your first few days here. I'm like, man, I noticed you mentioned your age a lot. You know, you've you've mentioned it like several times of how you're getting older and how you. And of course, that is the reality. We're all getting older, but getting old, I feel, is um, something that is really a part of the conditioning and. I don't know. I, I feel like vitality and youthfulness and like, yeah, we can go with the natural flow of things. And, and if that is, feels like your natural flow and move into that. And I mean, is like, like I was sharing is feeling stuck where my natural flow is. And then I'm just supposed to be in that stuckness. Or do I bring the medicine of yoga into my life and see like, okay, I'm feeling stuck and let me bring in this medicine to bring more fire and vitality it has nothing to do with my age. To me, it feels like a, I experience it more like a seasonal thing, you know? And yeah, my body has changed. I don't have the, bo the body of a, a bodybuilder anymore. However, I can do things now that I wasn't able to do when I was a bodybuilder. Like when I first started doing yoga, I couldn't go past my knees reaching down with my hands, you know, and now I'm much more flexible and open than I ever have been. So yeah, the body's changing. However, I don't feel like it's a, a deterioration process. It's, it's just evolving and, and yeah, it's, so I, I don't know. I feel like to me, I want to be as vital as possible as long as I'm here, you know? And sure, acknowledge the aging process that, yeah, I have more wrinkles on my face and my body, my skin might be looser, but I feel as far as working with the energy body and our vitality and, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I see beautiful, more and more beautiful examples of that, that people are, not maybe not resisting the aging process, but actually optimizing the human experience and actually growing older, getting older without getting old, you know, staying really youthful as they age. And I'm not sure that needs to be seen as a, you know, resisting the flow of things per se. Yeah, I, I like how you've, um, you know, clarified that a bit. I, I, um, and this again might be a, a subject, you know, a much bigger subject for another, another time, but I think there is this important distinction between like, um, the reality is that we are always evolving and going through you know we're not the same as we were when we were children we're not the same as we were when we were teens when we were young adults 
um, and we're not going to be the same when we're elders, right? So the reality is that as the life experience is that we go through these different phases of life and um and where we can get caught up is is trying to perhaps fit the mold of you know what a a young person looks like or an old person or whatever right um we can get caught in in sort of the categories of of that whereas we are these dynamic fluid life forces expressed as these human beings that have similarities to each other but also very unique differences because we are unique individuals right so i think there's the the universal truths and then there's also the very relative and individual you know life experiences um that set us apart and you know make us each unique um yeah yeah it it brings me back to um i remember the first time i connected with the uh, the biology of belief by do you remember the author of that uh bruce lipton the biology of belief and this it really opened my mind to challenging all all beliefs that are held in the collective, you know, about what's possible. And he, he, he speaks about that in the book that every seven years, we are completely, essentially a completely new being that all of our cells completely re renew themselves. He said every seven years, but I, I've always liked to challenge beliefs. I've always liked to challenge. So this idea of what is universal and a part of the natural cycles of life and what is conditioning. You know, why do we, why do we get old and get diseases the way we do? Is that because of that's universal truth and that's how life is? Or is that a part of the conditioning of the human experience? And I've always liked to challenge it as much as possible. All these commonly held beliefs, like why do we die in the first place? I think it was even, I was even, that question was even posed possibly in that book, The Biology of Belief. Do we, do we, live age and die because that is universally what happens or is that even possible to transcend you know i mean this idea of like yeah why do we why do we get old and die why does our body start you know yeah it could if we compare it to to nature that looks like the regular cycle of life of course but the idea of human capacities and expanding human potential fascinates me and all of the amazing feats that we're able to do as humans that that fascinates me as it does me and now me <laughs> I, I i love it and you're being sort of provocative like against the buddha who basically said birth old age sickness and death is the reality of life um i'm not suggesting he was absolutely right i'm just saying that that has been the way of things maybe it doesn't need to be um, and you know, not to be defensive, but like, <laughs> you know, like I have lived very youthfully in all kinds of ways and never thought about age in like conventional terms and have been like, have had all this kind of youthful exuberance and vitality, et cetera, for like a lot of my life to the point I sort of took it for granted 
you know, not that I abused it necessarily, but I like, I just thought like, I'm not aging in the same way that others around me seem to be my, my peers in age and such. And so I kind of thought, well, because I'm doing yoga and eating well and living this kind of way that like, it wasn't going to happen. And then like, when I see you in Portugal, uh, with severe jet lag, not having had any sleep in 24 hours. It's like, I do feel it because I used to be able to do this and just like, okay, woo, where's the party? <laughs> and so for me, it's like, oh, it's just another thing to surrender to because a big part of life is letting go. Um, and I love this topic of conversation and I really think that it would be great to continue in another episode. We kind of have explored it. So it would almost be a part two, but it, it's like, not just the episode, but just the flow of conversation. And it does definitely tie into yoga uh, practice over over a lifetime. And maybe this is uh, a good time to uh, finish off the last couple of bites of, of, of the cheesy authenticity and <laughs> plan to meet again here next time. Yeah, I, I want to cycle back to, you know, how you began, Troy, and just honor your, you know, willingness to offer some vulnerability and in authenticity and and just feel like that's important to acknowledge and thank you for bringing that forward from from the beginning yeah of course all of these things authenticity and honesty and everything they're all aspects of personal integrity and if you don't have that, what do you have? That's how I see it. And I've done plenty of hiding and avoiding in my life, definitely. But as I age, if I may use that term, brother, I'm just becoming more and more revealed in part because I want it to be of service to other people because, uh, uh, in part because I see it as a balancing mechanism or an, uh, an effort to create more balance because in my own lifetime, I see more and more inauthenticity, a lack of authenticity, all these avatars on social media and blah, 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 some of them claiming to be authentic, <laughs> even in their inauthenticity or lack of authenticity. I don't know if inauthenticity is actually a word. And so one of the things I feel like I can offer as a human being is to be like, you know what, let's be real. Let's just be with what is as best we can, you know? And, and then from there, the possibility of growth or change or moving beyond established beliefs, et cetera, is much more available to us. If we're living in pretense, if we're creating stories and we're not willing to open up to the possibility that there's something else, then I think any kind of change or evolution or even just growth is much harder, um, if not impossible. Very well said, Troy. I honor the way you see the world, see yourself, express yourself. And I do feel like it's a, it's a balance of really being with what is and being authentic with what is and do not believe anything simply because you've heard it. Do not believe in anything simply because it's spoken in rumor by many, because it's been handed down from teacher to elders. But after observation and analysis, when you find that anything agrees with reason and is conducive to the good and benefit of one and all, then accept it and live up to it. And I think that's a really beautiful expression for this idea of like holding what is and being really honest with ourselves and acknowledging what is, and at the same time, challenging it, regardless of who said it throughout history and what has been commonly held 
as this is the way things are. And on that very high and wise note, we leave you, we bid you adieu. We thank you for listening with us, sharing with us. As always, we offer this in service. We connect with each other to explore and to share. See you next time.